Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am Alora Festikoff from Firebird Summit. What's going on, everybody? I am Lawrence Henderson with Boss LLC, and it is an absolute pleasure to be with you, Alora. How are you doing? It has been a crazy summer so far, and it ain't over yet. So never, never a dull moment, though, I got to say. Can't complain that uh, I get the opportunity to board. What about you? How things have been going well, fast and furious uh, on the client side. Um, I'm already booking stuff into 2023. Um, so, yeah, I know. Right. Um, and so that was like blowing my mind. But things are really going really, really well. Uh, but, you know, again, the ebbs and flows of it since trying to stay locked in. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Okay, so I understand you, my friend, have a topic for us today. Why don't you hit me with it? Yeah, so so this topic is coming from a place of I've been working with a lot of leader teams um, who have been experiencing a lot of tough stuff. And in particular, one was like trying to get themselves to reframe. And those of you that have been with me and Alora before, we've already had a whole episode on reframing. Uh, but this person was going so far into the reframe that it stopped being helpful. And so the idea of something called toxic positivity <laughs> is something that I introduced to the space. <laughs> Oh, so I love this topic and it's multidimensional, right? Because I think most people look up the definition of toxic positivity and it's exactly basically what you describe, right? Which is basically sort of like, I mean, for lack of a better word, trying to put so much lipstick on a pig that you're trying to, you know, make it into something it's not. Um, and, and to your point, right, we, we as coaches are very big on the value and the power of reframing, but there are some times and cases and ways in which it, I think it diverts you from dealing with the stuff that's there that needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's a key point of toxic positivity that you just pointed to there. It's dealing with the stuff because there's elements of it. And in, in even not only with this particular client, but I mean, think about social media and how far we swing to the left and to the right, or people's like, you know, you just need to be, think about that differently. Well, don't be dismissive of what I'm actually feeling. And actually, again, for us as coaches, like, okay, what's the question that needs to be asked of how that person is experiencing it? And the other parts of toxic positivity is when you become dismissive like that, there, and, and again, those false reassurances, you're not leaving space to actually be empathetic and to actually be able to hold space seeking to understand why somebody is having a reaction the way that they are. And so for me, when I think about just this topic and I think about, you know, the things that I've needed over the past several months with, you know, the thing that ebbs and flows of emotions and me trying to check in on myself of, dude, it's okay not to feel okay. 
And I think that goes against so, so the things that have been become norms for us to be like, you need to be positive. You need to be positive. Okay, I can, but guess what? Right now it hurts. And it's okay for me to acknowledge it hurts, but what do I need to do to move forward? And I think that's the part where people, we never, we, we oftentimes don't get to, and, and it just becomes toxic to where people just want to disengage altogether. Well, and I think it also, you know, I think a lot of it also stems from a really strong preoccupation with, you know, the idea of being happy. And I think this is such a, and it's so funny. So I think I've told you before, like my old business partner and I used to get into like these sort of like big debates because he would really kind of make a strong case for, you know, why happiness was an important goal. And I was super dismissive. I'm like, no, like I, like I, I have such a hard time with it for a number of reasons, partially because I feel like a lot of times it's, um, it gets too trivialized. Like what, what makes you happy? Right. It's not like, we're not talking about like, oh, Hey, I got like 40 likes on my post on social media. It's like, you know, it's like, okay, like, let's get back to like, what I think the limitations of the English language here kind of hurt us because happy, it's like love, right? It's like, you can love a Big Mac and you can love your dog and you can love your mom and you <laughs> love a sunny day. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, like the, the fact that the Greeks had like, you know, more than a dozen words for love is I think a much more sane way to kind of deconstruct this. And I think happy is kind of the same sort of thing, right? And I think we take that too. And I think that's what toxic positivity a lot of times is, is we're taking it too far. We're taking it out of the realm of, okay, like the things that make us truly happy. And I, I like to a lot of times swap out the word like satisfied and feel a real sense of legitimate satisfaction in our lives, right? Are the meaningful relationships and meaningful work and things that we feel connect us to other people that are important to us and things like that, right? It's not, oh, hey, you know, I'm just all blissed out right now because I, you know, whatever got, you know, a free Whopper in the, you know, coupon in the mail. Like that's not the same thing. They're, they're not equal in that way. And I think part of what you're talking about with the idea that, oh, you have to reframe it is, is this sort of obsession with the idea that we're just supposed to be happy, which let's be clear, all emotions exist only in contrast to their, their counterparts, right? Like if, you, if you're happy all the time, a, you're probably on cocaine. And beyond that, you're going to need more and more hits more and more frequently in order to even come close to staying there. There's a reason for that. You need the balance and you have to experience that whole spectrum for happiness to really mean anything in the first place. But to your point about, you know, this, this whole idea of, well, let's just reframe it. Let's just reframe it. It's like, okay. Yeah. There, there are times and places for reframing and there are times and places it actually doesn't help. So maybe we start this way. So in, in the conversations that you're having, um, where do you see, wh where's the line that you see between like a useful reframe, something that's helpful versus, all right, you just jumped the shark with that. Yeah. That, so, so amazing question, because it was already going to lead into something I was going to share. When it's helpful, if the reframe is pointing them towards growth and moving forward, utilizing what they're experiencing as fuel it stops being helpful when it removes the opportunity for understanding consciousness and awareness to support growth when it's not a growing opportunity and it's just a kind of you know what i don't want to feel bad anymore i don't want to feel guilt about that anymore so i'm just gonna thumbs up smiles unicorns rainbows and pixie dust like that's not helpful 
right? And it just, and like you, in the face you just made, it feels icky. And, 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 if, and if I can go as bold as say, it's a form of gaslighting yourself a bit or, or a situation when, and again, it's just a harmful way of communicating to just thumbs ups and smiles it all the time. It's just like, that wasn't helpful for me. Like I like it did hurt. And you're, and you're giving other people a message there that I think is really the problematic piece, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you, if you are not able to deal with or process or handle things getting complicated, then what you're actually telling people is that they can't trust you with hard stuff. And I think this is where it becomes really important to keep in mind the message we're giving the people around us. And now look, there may be plenty of people that you don't want to have to deal with their hardship. Like, screw it. I don't like, you know, you know, like Brene Brown always talks about how like, you know, um, it's really important to just share with the people who earn the right to hear your story. Like that is a, that is a meaningful <laughs> distinction right there. So there are plenty of people, right. It was funny. I was listening actually to Ezra Klein, who's one of my favorite podcasters um, earlier this week. And he was talking about how, you know, people say, ask, you know, how are you? And your knee-jerk reaction is fine. And he recently had somebody stop before he could, you know, answer fine and say, no, 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 don't give me this fine. Like, I want to know how you really are. And in the moment there, he said, he actually kind of got angry. He's like, don't like, don't make me deal with this stuff. Like, I'm not like, I I was okay with the the knee-jerk answer. And I think that's where we start to have to make a real distinction, right? Is that knee-jerk answer that keeps people at bay, you know, the, the kid who, checks me out at the grocery store, asks me how my day is going. I'm not going to go into a litany about, you know, selling the house and my husband in the hospital. Like, no, no, that's just not, it's not fair to him. It's not appropriate for me. It's just not, that's not that dynamic. And it's really unhelpful. And you see people do it, right? Especially people who are really lonely, who live alone, where these poor kids can't get them out of the grocery store aisle or like, you know, they corner somebody and you can't, and you're like looking at it and you're watching the scene and you're like watching this poor person who's like kind of been held hostage by this person who just wants to talk. And I think that's where we start seeing how our behavior tells other people how they should or shouldn't trust us and how much they should or shouldn't trust us with. Yeah. I, and I, and I like that. And that even goes to That even goes to say, and again, and I like that part of what can I trust you with based on how you respond or how you behave to what I share with you. And it goes to those things that, you know, most of our listeners may have said or had said to them, again, experiencing tragedy. It could be worse. That's not helpful. Or or this one that literally I want to flick people in the throat for is everything happens for a reason. See, and it's so, you know, what's so funny to me is that you, son of a preacher, me, atheist, I actually would have assumed that you would be more comfortable with, I hate that one. That one just pisses no. me off so badly, but it's funny because, and again, this goes back to like all the yeah. stuff we talk about, about bias, right? Because yeah. like my grandmother says that all the time, but she says it within the context of, of you know, her religious conviction. And so it's so funny. I associate that kind of response with somebody who comes from like a deeply, seated religious belief and so it's awesome to me to hear you say no that you that one makes you nuts oh for sure and and here's here's why it makes me mad is because you're trying to force me to move in a direction to believe that bad stuff was for a reason it was just bad stuff happened like it was untimely it was it's my leg 
I broke my leg. How everything happens for a reason. Excuse me? That was not helpful at all. Like, and it was my driving foot. So now I now have to depend on everybody else to get me around. I have to do all these other things. Guess what? Let it just suck for a moment, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the other thing too, right? I think, I think that the thing that, um, and it's funny. So I was, you know, it's kind of, we were kind of talking about this a little bit before we got started, but you know, like I've had a lot of stuff going on in, in my life recently. And so I keep having friends and family like check in on me. Like, are you okay? Are you okay? And like, I hate being taken care of with anything else. Like I really have a hard time with it. And so like, there are times when like, I'll get a text or I'll get a message like, Hey, just checking in. How you doing? How you doing? And like my knee jerk reaction is like, God damn it. I'm fine. Stop asking. Right. But it's like, at the same time, like I totally understand that they are genuinely concerned that I've got a lot on my plate and I'm trying to juggle a bunch of things and that, you know, it's, they all know that I don't like being taken care of. And they definitely know that like, you know, they're going to mother hen me. I'm going to have a bad reaction, but I also have to like, remember that like, yeah, actually, you know what? They do kind of have a lot going on. It's not unreasonable for them to be a little bit concerned that, you know, I'm not having a day where I just want to curl up into a ball. Um, and so like, and by reminding myself of that, I also remind myself that, you know what? Some days it's just okay that it sucks because some days it just does. You know, my husband was back in the hospital again. That sucked. And, and they sent him home with a home health nurse and IV and all kinds of stuff. That sucked. Like, you know, and so trying to reframe it all the time doesn't give anybody room, doesn't give people, doesn't give people around you room to be helpful or to, you know, offer you support any more than it gives yourself room to just take a deep breath and be like, yeah, this blows. Terrible. And and I think, and one of the reasons why we get, and again, we, we always uh, send each other messages like, all right, you got a topic for today. And again, the reason why this came up for me has been coming up so often. Again, it's summertime, it's vacation season, um, stuff in the world is still happening between monkeypox and all the craziness with, you know, our government system here in the U.S. and all the rest of the stuff that's happening internationally. And, and we get to these places of, can we just allow the, the human beings and all of us to just be able to sit, to just breathe, to just woo-saw and, and just be able to, you know what? It has it doesn't have to be all rainbows and, and sunshine, but can we reframe to a okay, what's what's the one thing you need to be doing more of that will support you moving forward, right? And that becomes the positive part of it, not just the, you know, oh, you, you need to, you need to get out of that. You need to stop thinking that way and have this disillusion of of positivity that, again, takes away from that growth strategy. Because I know for me, you know, I've been trying to get healthy and work out ever since I could remember trying to get healthy and work out. There's just been it's been a life journey for me. And the perfect storm of health stuff happened over the last month and a half where. I was tracking, like I dropped 15 pounds. I was rolling. Then I go on vacation of all places. <laughs> oh, it's a death and do a, every time. Do a tailbone plant 
and literally the last month and a half was having debilitating back spasms to where I couldn't even walk for 20 minutes. And so like, I'm like all that progress and I got people who could have been worse. I'm like, not helpful, not helpful, shut up. Like, and, and just like, stop it. Like, but for me, it was like, okay, dude, what's one thing you can do? You could stretch. You could stretch like, and, and for me, it was like, okay, what's your first next step? And I always love that as, as a coaching question. And I, and it landed because that was mine that <clears throat> as I was being coached, my coach was helping me was like, okay, what can you do? What? And again, the reframe, what's, what would be useful? What would be a useful step for you? What would be like, and again, for us, it, where I really believe it really lands is, okay, can we get to a place where we allow ourselves and others the space to figure out what what's right for them. And again, I believe even creating that space, even with a bit of challenge, and that's why I love being a coach, because somebody was like, I just, I feel like I just need to cry. And as a coach, you're like, for how long? I'm like, well, I don't know. What feels right? Maybe, maybe every time I think about it, I just cry. Okay, what's that look like? Right, and just and just really yeah. like, and I think that the no judgment part of coaching is what I really now am so in love with, is because it's something that you have to practice, non but non judgment and all the rest of that, and so that's the really like this toxic positivity thing, like it's gotten so out of hand in so many ways that we just like, okay, just hold space. Sometimes just shut your mouth and just, just let it be, but be available for the other person. I really believe that's what it is. Like, just be available. Well, and, and the non-judgment thing is always hardest on yourself. And I think this is where, you know, I think that it's like anything else, right? When you see someone who has an inclination to try to pivot and starts like trying to reframe something beyond the point of it being helpful, be willing to bet most of the time they don't just do that with other people, they do it with themselves too. And this is, again, it gets back to why one of the main reasons that I used to really struggle when Elijah and I would have debates about, you know, how important is happiness? Because I'm like, okay, like it's just that, that there's so much triviality to me in that word. And it's not like, it doesn't come with the more you know, like fundamental like gravitas of like true, like truly satisfying life choices kind of thing. And again, like you can't, you can't make all your decisions about what will make me happy, what will make somebody else happy. Because a whole bunch of happy, I mean, you didn't make me happy. What made me happy is going to McDonald's and eating my way through the menu until I'm so sick that I'm no longer happy. You can't make like short-term decisions, short-term, all short-term happiness decisions don't get you to long-term happiness and certainly don't get you to long-term, like legitimately life, like, you know, foundationally life basis happiness decisions. And so you have to keep in mind that it's that you're climbing a ladder all the time. And some steps suck and sometimes your legs are tired. And that doesn't mean that the goal isn't, you know, ultimately to make decisions that allow you to lie in your deathbed and think, I'm proud of the life that I lived and I you know, wouldn't try to go back and rewrite anything major. Um, you know, and I think to me, that's where I have to remind myself to come back to is, okay, like the, the day's going to come and I'm going to be laying someplace on my way out. 
How do I, like, what is it that I want to know in my own head in those last moments before I go? And it's that, of course, made mistakes. Of course, there's, you know, little shit I wish I could have changed here and there. But fundamentally, I'm not mortified that I did something truly like, like, I'm, you know, whatever those big things are that I'm, you know, I don't want to carry with me. Like those are the things that I try to remind myself in the moments where I feel like I'm getting caught up in uh, this happy decision, this happy decision, this happy decision, or the belief that I should be making like little happy decisions all the time. Cause yeah. I think that's largely crap. I love that. And, and again, as you were describing just the ladder and how you like try to go up and like, godly, I'm tired. But this, this again, this pressure to appear okay. And, and um, there's a psychotherapist out of, out of Baltimore, uh, Carolyn Carroll, who said like that, that pressure invalidates the range of emotions that we're actually experiencing. And for me, as you were describing that, just climbing that ladder, it's just, again, before I got injured and I was going to this gym and a trainer who, again, ex-NFL football player, but it has a degree in kinesiology and all these other things like I, like he had a separate workout for me because I was already injured and working myself back to form. He would tell me to stop. He would tell me to stop running and walk because I, in my head, I didn't want to appear weak to the other people who were, because again, this we, to be okay, the pressure to be okay, like feeling this distress to kind of fake it till it make it. And he's like, no, I don't want you to re-injure yourself. And he's, and again, and, and again, I'm, I'm comparing myself to people, to women and men who are like running laps around me, but in my ego to be okay, knowing I'm hurting, like, like, think about that. Like you are literally putting yourself in the position to hurt even more. Well, by and or, like, and permanently, and permanently, and permanently damage yourself. And, and that's where that, okay. He's like, I know you could do it. He said, but let's get you back to form. And he, and it's just like, you know what? Thank you for that. Like, and again, cause most people, cause again, growing up, hustle, 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 grind, grind, like high school football. That's all you ain't hurt. Put some dirt on it. Keep running. And just like, that's why I got daggone turf toe now to this day. Cause it was just like, got a bunch of old men that didn't know how to take care of young kids in sports. And so for yeah. us. That's it's the same thing. Caring for others, just like it's okay to take a rest on the climb up, on the climb to getting better. It's okay to take. And, and the thing we had, and I never forget from the military, there was always this thing when you used to do marches and we used to do rucking. I um, mean, your husband probably tell you about this when he was going through basic training. There was always this moment where they would always be like, "Hey, take a knee, drink water," and it was like literally that was it was a rest. It was a resting posture. It wasn't anything about weakness. It wasn't anything. It was just like, take a knee, drink water. Because if you hurt, you dehydrated, all there is, does nobody any good if anybody has to carry you. So right now, everybody, we're going to stop, we're going to take a knee, drink water. And I think for us, as we think about how do we engage other professionals, engage ourselves, finding those moments, okay, this is a take a knee, drink water moment. And I need to take it for the longevity of me and not try to be like, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. It could be worse. Like, nah, that's not helpful. <laughs> we need to take so any. I, <laughs> I, actually, I actually love to take any metaphor because I think that's actually really, you know, helpful, especially when we catch ourselves 
you know, I think, and again, Brene Brown was talking about this in one of um, which book it was, where she was talking about how like she would catch herself uh, when she was swimming laps in the pool. She would catch herself pacing the person next to her, even though like they're like 20 years younger and like an amazing, you know, racing shape and everything until she realized that she was like ripping out her rotator cuff again. <laughs> like, okay, maybe I got to cut that stuff out. But I think this is so hard because I think especially people who tend to be strivers and overachievers are you know, we tend to be competitive. We tend to compare ourselves a lot to the people around us, or at least the people that we want to, you know, feel on par with. And I think it's really hard sometimes to stop and say, all right, my ladder's my ladder, your ladder's your ladder. <laughs> and we'll sync up at times, and that's great. And then there are times when we just got to carry our own weight up that, and we can't, I can't judge my progress by where you are or where somebody else is. And that can be, I think, the hardest part. And again, I think that comes back to some of the reasons that we see this inclination towards, you know, toxic positivity in this way, because either we're comparing ourselves or we're looking around at this whole like culture that's become obsessed with, you know, being happy. And it's like, well, I'm not doing that. So I have to find a way to do that. And then I come back to my original point, which is that happiness is only happiness when you can counterbalance it against the things that give it depth. What gives happiness depth is sadness or tragedy or, you know, raw, harder emotions. That's what makes happiness acute. That's what makes it ephemeral. That's what makes it worth going after um, is that like you have to have that contrast. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. And so dressing, trying to dress something else up as that doesn't actually help on any level. Never mind. It kind of makes you a little putz. Yeah, and it, it and I love I love the way you just described that that it it's the counterbalances of it all, right? If you only try to force yourself in the happy bucket, then you discount the data points of sadness, of hardship, and all the rest of those things. So when you actually do truly experience happiness, you're actually like, am I really experiencing happiness? Or is this a part of what I've been telling myself is happiness? And so it's it becomes so unconscious or just kind of rudimentary that everything it's it's like praise in the workplace, right? It's just like you can't high five and high five and hug everything, right? And so so in, so recognition needs to be targeted, needs to be specific, it needs to be timely and actually about something. It's the same thing with you know what is happiness, and I really believe. And, and again, the society that we live in, I mean, everybody has been pushed towards this whole, you know, kind of we, we got to we got to glorify this people feeling good about themselves and all the rest of this stuff. Like, I get it. And I really do want everybody to have a positive outlook on yourself. But really, what it would work needs to go into you maintaining what that feels like. And and I love that. Um there was this relationship that I had with, and again, when I was writing my, my first book, it was like, you know, most people finish the phrase, you're either winning or losing. And for me, the, the losing part had a neg I had a negative reaction to the word loss, because when I think about loss, I think about death. I think about, and so I had a very hard relationship with that. And I was like, okay, what's my reframe? Okay, I'm either winning or I'm learning how to win. And, and so that was palatable for me because now it made me look at things that were hard, the things that made me tired, the things that hurt me. It made me look at them, okay, where's the learning opportunity so that 
I can use it as fuel and not get so positive in it. Like you're either winning or learning how to win and like, ah, get back to it. it. But it was like, okay, evaluate the stuff that's happened that have kept you from, and like you said, from pure, from that pure happiness, from those things, learn, okay, what stopped you short? What things do you need to go after so that you then can find out what's essential and, and, and for me now, understanding in this season of life has, has really like, I've really been like honing in on, okay, in this season of life, what do I need to feel whole, to feel cared for, to feel, feel nurtured and all these different things. I think getting people to move and like to really what makes sense for me to navigate through this so that I then can move towards the goals of feeling good about the life that I'm living and not just remove, like having this expectation of positivity all the time. Like, mm -hmm. well, and I think you said something really important there that we also forget is that just because, you know, we used to be okay with something or something used to work for us doesn't mean it still does. And there's no reason it should. And I think this is so hard sometimes. And, you know, it's, like there are places where it gets really messy, right? Because sometimes it's the person you marry. You know, once upon a time, there was plenty of reasons that you made that choice, but over time, that might not be the right choice anymore. And I, you know, I think it's really hard to sometimes admit it. And it doesn't mean you were wrong, and it doesn't mean that you made a wrong choice at that time. I mean, it could, but it, that doesn't automatically have to mean that, right? People change, and people move in different directions throughout time, and you can't predict that. You know, I think people who are able to find someone and then, you know, they can grow and continue to actually have a compatible relationship over the course of six years. I think that's freaking amazing. And I think it's super, super difficult to do. Um, but I think it's, you know, also not always possible. And there are perfectly legitimate reasons that that can be the case. So I think people getting so attached to, well, I've always been able to do this, you know, like you working out, right? I've always been able to do it. I've always been able to to you know, keep up with everybody on the run. I've always been able to, I've always been able to, it's like, that's like the whole, you know, don't, don't let your clients shut all over yourself, you know, problem, right? Because just because you used to be able to doesn't mean that you should now. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a whole book about it. What got you here won't get you there. Mar Marshall Goldsmith. Name it, Marshall Goldsmith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I love that book because I it's love exactly... That book. It's exactly it, right? Like there's plenty of stuff that, that used to work and there yeah. are reasons that it worked there, are, you know, and there might be opportunities again for some of them to work in the future, but that doesn't mean that's going to help you today. It's not going to help you, you know, figure out stuff that, that is different and you're different. And I think we're really sometimes hard on ourselves to remember oh, yeah. that yeah, I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago. Like there's a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, and, and that's another thing I think sometimes helps me when I'm trying to kind of either reframe myself into oblivion or I'm trying to kind of like compare myself, you know, today to what I used to do is like, okay, would I even recognize myself from 10 years ago? Like if I were going to have a conversation with me of 10 years ago about like the top 10 most important things in your life, would we have the same, like, would we be able to have a conversation? Not even close, not even, not exactly. even close. And I think, I think that's a, that's an amazing point there, Laura, really, because again, you, when, when you, again, you try to push yourself towards this bucket of, okay, we need to be positive. You, you, again, you negate where you are in life and understanding that 
hey, yes, once upon a time, that would have been okay to do, but where are you today? And I think, like you said, 10, year old, 10 years ago, me, and having a conversation with like this me today, like it would be like talking to a, a foreign person that like, dude, who are you? Like, what are you, what are you reading? Like that 10 years ago, I owned maybe three leadership books and, and I was applying like a, a couple chapters out of one um, versus today that it's just like, I got I got to practice. I got to practice transitioning and evolving into this better person because I know it's healthier for where I'm at in life. And I think for a lot of us figuring out and again, everybody being entitled to their own feelings without being shamed for it based on how you would deal with what yeah. somebody is experiencing and what they're going through. Or again, that, that situation of, you know, again, trying to portray emotions as good or bad. It's a data point. Something's happening. Something's wrong. So engage it, deal with it and stop running from it. So that again, you can identify the things that need to be addressed and you can help yourself move forward. That's yeah, this, it's, it's uncomfortable. And I think that's really like what most people say, try to turn the corner on the discomfort. And it's like, you're like, dude, all right. It's just lingering now. Like all you're doing is prolonging some things that you're going to have to deal with in the very near future. And you're just going to keep dragging that wagon. And that's it. It's not going to go away. Which is why like, I love what you just said, right? It, it can be uncomfortable. It could be miserable. It could be, but it's a data point. That doesn't mean that has to define everything. That is one point. It causes you anxiety today. It causes you stress today. It makes you upset today. Okay. And maybe it will tomorrow too. And maybe even next week, but like at the end of the day, it's just one factor of so many others. And if, if you spend all of your time trying to kind of, you know, iron the appearance of that out of how you're looking at something, you're not, you know, to your point, you're just going to keep dragging that wagon around with you. It's not going anywhere. I love it. I love, yeah. And, and again, when we think about just how do we take care of ourselves in this season of life that we, we find ourselves in with all the things that are changing in the world today, it's just really, really locking in and honing in on, you know, the things that provide us the energy necessary to, to, you know, make it to the next moment that matters for us. Um, and again, and really be grateful and thankful for those moments. Right. And then again, along the way for all the things, and I, somebody said it to me this way is, uh, and it was, a, it was from a therapist talking about, uh, thank, thank the suck that, that it, it provided you another data point and a lesson to learn. And I was like, I love that. That's awesome. That's a, I, love I was that. like, that's a heck of a reframe right there. It was like, it was like, call it like, thanks the suck. Like just, well, you know, and I think, and yeah. I think it's funny because I think there are places where we do truly see that. I mean, I think um, a lot of times cancer survivors in some ways are like sort of the iconic example of that, right? Is that nobody ever wants to have to go through it, but you also will frequently see people who have gone through it and come out the other side recognize that it had a really drastic impact on how they view things, what they think is important, how they've prioritized their life. And so like, you know, you would, again, you would never volunteer for that, but at the coming out the other side has, has a tendency of being you know, orders of magnitude of impact on how you choose to live your life and what you think is important and how you, how you just come out on the other side. And 
and move on. You know, I was talking to a pancreatic cancer survivor and pancreatic cancer has a very low survival rate. And, you know, and we were talking earlier today about the, the foods that she can't eat anymore and that she misses and everything else. But on the other hand, she's like, I just see my kids grow up. <laughs> you know, like, and in the world of trade-offs, like, yeah, she misses, you know, pizza, but on the same, same time, like, you know, there, there are things that most pancreatic, you know, cancer patients don't get to do. And it gives, it, it just changes your perspective. And so I think that's the part that um, I like about, you know, thank the suck, because you can't stop the suck from, you know, landing in the middle of your life sometimes. And pretending that it doesn't suck, honestly, is just sort of, disrespectful and to yourself and to your family and the people around you and the other people who've gone through something similar. It's like, it's, it's okay for it to suck. Just, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, one way or another, you come out the other side. You might not be alive the other side, but you come out one way or another. And if, if you are lucky in how you come out the other side, then you know what, then you have the chance to look back and say, okay, you know what, nothing about that was cool. And I wouldn't inflict it on anybody, but now that I've gone through it, I am grateful for certain things. I am committed to doing certain things differently. I do find value in things that I didn't fully appreciate before, whatever it is, like it changes your perspective, but you have to go through it first. You can't like slap a happy face on it and pretend that it doesn't because that you're not going to actually get the value out of it if you spend all your time trying to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it also reminds me of uh, somebody I you know, grew up with. Uh, and of course, you know, talking about the the religious folks in, in the space that want to, you know, they, she said like this, she said, you can't pray past the process. And I was like, that's Ooh. a good one too. Oh my goodness. I'll have to remember that one. Yeah. Oh, actually, that's a good one. Yeah. Okay. So I got a question. So, so, yep. so to wrap up, let's get a question for you. Back to okay. what the reference before. Okay. okay. So Lawrence, Lawrence, 10 years ago, what's the, what's the thing you're most grateful for that you've yep. gone through in the last 10 years yep. that has changed you enough that the version of you 10 years ago is so unrecognizable? Um, the acknowledgement of not taking care of the things that were in my control and not trying to blame it on somebody else. And the biggest one for me was transitioning and actually being kicked out of one of my last military schools because of a regulation um, that I didn't meet the requirement while I was in the school. And I wanted to be like te technicalities all over the place and I was pointing fingers. And But then I sat with it and I said, I left it in the hands of others to make a decision. And I said, but never do it again. What's in my control is in my control. And the biggest thing for me, what's in my control is to take ownership and accountability. And that is the biggest shift for me is to drink my own Kool-Aid on ownership and accountability. And that has propelled me to who I am today. To, and again, not as, you know, to beat my chest on anybody, but to say, you know what, my, my values are active in my life. They're operational. Um, what about you? Um, actually for me, it's, so I love that one, by the way, cause I think it's so funny. It actually kind of reminds me of, of my dad kind of watching him kind of go through that sort of same transition over time and, and him come out to a very more sanguine perspective, you know, over the years from the way, like he used to be like a crazy hothead who just gets mm -hmm. over everything. And yeah, it's a very similar kind of transition. It's, mm -hmm. it's actually cool to watch. So I love hearing that mm -hmm. for me, I think it's probably the, um, 
it's actually it was the Arthur Brooks book that we were talking about before um, a couple episodes ago, right? Where it was really the belief that I, it was more important to me to have a distinctive career. And it didn't have to be like about money per se, but like, I liked being the only girl in the boys club. For me, it was about like that very like special status at the expense of the rest of my life. And I didn't need a life. I didn't need, you know, a life outside of work. I didn't need to do work, like whatever. The rest of that stuff didn't matter. Like what mattered was all about work and realizing, you know, at the point where, no, actually the day you walk out of the company, doesn't matter what your role is, the day you walk out, the rest of the company continues on without you. It just keeps moving. It doesn't need you. And like, that was a very hard, hard lesson um, for me to really internalize and realize that like, I really just organized my life around some priorities that were not good choices for me at all. So yeah, yeah, this version of me talking to the version of me 10 years ago, in fact, I know the version of me 10 years ago will look at me now and be like, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) And I'd look at her and be like, you dumb little girl, pat her on the head and send her off. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, always, always a good time breaking these things down. Awesome. Well, it's wonderful to talk to you this week, my friend, and we will catch up soon. All right. Always take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.